I'm going to argue with Jason that there's no such thing as a double switcheroo. Eh, Frank's a loser. Lodero. So I officially hate like 94% of Atlanta fans. Guys, I'm going to make you set down your teacups and take your pinky fingers and put them back into the fist that they need to be in because this has gotten far too cordial. I lost to the freaking cat team. Just a whisker. A whisker of a loss. Was that a rational RSL take from Jason? <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm probably the most rational RSL fan. You just got lawyered by a non-lawyer, bro. Hello and welcome everyone to episode 14 of the MLS Fantasy Insider Podcast. Our week nine, do do days and weeks and numbers even mean anything anymore? Our week nine suspension episode. This episode is brought to you by mid-season MLS rule changes. Who say fantasy doesn't impact the real game? No, wait, actually... Uh, Brought to you by MLSFantasyBoss.com and the amazing Patreon supporters of the MLS Fantasy Insider Podcast. You guys are awesome. And as soon as things start back, I'm going to start announcing who has won our monthly prize drawings. Because I've still done that. I've still done that. Just trying to keep something big for for the comeback. A big big celebration of of soccer as it comes back. Uh, Tonight, I am joined by... Oh, I forgot. My name is Reed Connolly, and I am from MLSFantasyBoss.com, and I am joined tonight by my partners in fantasy, Michael Denton and Blaine Riffle. How are you all doing? I'm good. Hello, Reed. Hello, people in chat. Hello to no one else. Yeah, a little bit of beef. So, so I wasn't sure if I was going to open with this or not, but I, but I've decided to open with it because I am confused. Uh, as we were, as we, as I was saying on Twitter right before this show started, I was just doing the regular plug. Blaine on the show tonight. Blaine has a, a, a rivalry rant he's going to share with us. Our main topic tonight is going to be the five sub rule change coming to MLS and the fantasy impacts that has. But then Mike just throws this curveball out here and he says, also, Blaine and I are not on speaking terms after he participated in a war crime. So this will be fun. And I am clueless as to what is going on. So, Mike, would you care to enlighten us before we get into the bulk of the show? Um, I, I can, but first of all, I want to warn, um, you know, if you're listening to the podcast and you have the kids in the car, um, what I'm about to describe is horrific, and you may want to censor it in front of your children. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> you know, listen to this part of the podcast later. Or that. Um, but Blaine shared a video on Facebook, and he tagged myself and read it. And so I get a notification. And, All right, let's 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 see what I'm sure it's a fun video. It's going video that's going to bring me joy. My friend Blaine would do nothing but bring me joy, right? Cuz that's what a good friend would do, right? Wrong. He has a video oh. of a man oh, that video. on the second floor of a house. And in his hands is a beautiful 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 Lego Star Destroyer. And what this man does is he chucks it over the side. And you see the Star Destroyer flip. And you can just feel like the, the mind of the Star Destroyer. Like it was Buzz Lightyear thinking, this is my chance to fly. Now I'm going to fly. I'm going to finally do what I've been meaning to do. And then it finds out just like Buzz that it's all fate. It's not going to happen. He's going to crash. And you see it flip and it starts coming apart at the pieces. And then it crashes. Millions of pieces litter the floor. 
all of the hours of work destroyed, a beautiful Lego Star Destroyer gone for no reason. Blade has, this clip is shared with no warning. There's no context <laughs> It's just a person committing a war crime. It's destroying it's an act of beautiful thing. And Blaine just shares this to me. So that's why I'm not talking to my co-host. Just utterly repugnant. I'm sorry that the listeners had to hear about that, but I wanted you to understand the depths of depravity of my co-host. And I think we have to add that it's not just any Imperial Lego Star Destroyer, because there have been several throughout the years. I believe it is an Ultimate Collector Series Star Destroyer, which is one of those that's like 5,000 pieces or something. I, I yeah, looked it up just for the show. One. It is $700 and 4,784 pieces. Oh, I was close. I was so <laughs> close. So close. I know the Ultimate Collector Series Millennium Falcon is like 7,000 pieces, so... Uh, I figured it wasn't quite as as much as that one. Um, yeah, no, that was that was heartbreaking. That reminds me. For those of you who may not have seen it, uh, there is a show called uh, Lego Masters that is has finished its first season. I watched it on YouTube TV. I think it's also on Hulu. People to catch it streaming, but uh, Fox. It's on the Fox Network, and it was just a reality show with uh, Will Arnett as the host, and it was with Lego, and people competed in this little Lego building competition. And he was a very funny host because he sort of mocked reality competitions as he was doing the show. So it was there's this kind of tongue in cheek element to it that I enjoyed. But one of the episodes is they destroy Lego and that was heartbreaking. It was either dropped, hit with the baseball bat, or literally charges were planted and it was blown up. So that was that was a heart wrenching episode to watch um because because uh, yeah, of all the time it takes, especially there, those people will build for twelve hours and then poof, there it goes. Mm. But yes, no, I understand that that was quite quite the treasonous act, Blaine, that you were you were celebrating there on Facebook. How dare you? How dare you, sir? How dare <laughs> you? Blaine was in a mood today. He's gotten a fight with us over that. He's fighting with um, Ben Bear and Andrew Weeby. He did. I mean, I I don't know what who hurt Blaine yesterday, but you know, I just hope for, for peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get, we'll get to you. Happy with That's your mom. right. That's right. We'll get to your, we'll get to your fight picking, uh, in, in the last half of the show, Blaine. So, but say for that, uh, we do have that coming up. The main part of our show tonight though, is going to be about the new rule change that came out. And, uh, this was, uh, at least, at least Rob Harris sent out one of the tweets. It's the one that Blaine shared with me in our, in our little MLS FI Facebook chat here, but he says, and Mike did have to help me clarify this some because when I first read it, I didn't think it had the same impact uh, as, as they did. But he says, uh, use of five subs now approved by football's lawmakers comes into effect now and allowed to be used by competition scheduled to be completed by year, by this year, by uh, December 31. So that would be, be MLS for what we're doing right now. Uh, temporary for now, but FIFA says it will... Uh, assess with the IFA, yada, 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 blah, 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 rules, rules, rules. So the, the law, this is an updated law three, and it actually reads, each team will be permitted to use a maximum of five substitutes. To reduce disruption to the match, each team will have a maximum of three opportunities to make substitutions during the game. Substitutions may also be made at halftime. This is where my confusion came. I thought this was still the same. Okay, yeah, you get three subs during the game. What Mike helped point out since, you know, he has a law degree, 
is that you get those maximum five substitutions, and so it would be more like basketball, where you could make multiple subs at one time. Uh, if both teams make a sub, then it only counts as a single sub for each one. Yes, yes, we understand that. Uh, unused subs and opportunities are carried forward into extra time, uh, where competition rules allow an additional substitution and extra time. Time, and in extra time, teams will each have one additional substitution opportunity. And I think, Mike, we were deciding that actually could make this six. Yeah, so I, I think that that's, mm -hmm. um, it's six. Now, one thing we should probably mention before we go too far, um, MLS has not officially adopted this rule. Um, FIFA basically did it to allow leagues to adopt that rule. We don't, MLS hasn't commented on it yet that I could find today. Um, I would expect if MLS goes for the type of schedule that we discussed about in a podcast a few Last episodes week. ago, um, <clears throat> you know, they're going to try to if, if have a bunch of double game weeks. They'll almost certainly um, do this in order to promote player safety. So, uh, but just technically this hasn't officially come to MLS sure, sure. yet, but very likely and so it's worth discussing. Right, yes. Just like last week, good good point to make. We're assuming that this will be adopted by MLS. We think it just makes sense. Uh, sent out some messages on Twitter yesterday and this afternoon asking people to submit some pros and cons. And the, the biggest pro that we did receive was talking about how this would be exactly like Mike said, would work very well with the schedule, with people trying to get back into... Match fitness. There we go. I was going to say the swing of things, but match fitness fits much better. But the big question that we're here to talk about tonight is how will this impact fantasy? Because while I'm sure there are all the pros lean towards the actual player fitness, which let me just say right now, far outweighs anything that could happen with fantasy or have anything to do with fantasy. Player health is paramount, and that is, of course, what we want. But for the purpose of this conversation, we're going to be talking about what I think most of us will say are the cons. So, uh, Blaine, we'll let you get this one started. Let's talk about the impacts on fantasy. How do you see this? Five subs. So, um, this is just rotation bait for everybody in fantasy. Um, especially when you have to start doing multi-subs. I didn't realize when I first shared this that it was a platoon type of thing where... You could do a one, a one, and a three, or a one, a two, and a two, unless you're piggybacking on your opponent's substitution times. But you're gonna be, you're gonna see a lot more switching. Um, this changes up tactics for the game uh, immensely. I, I know Classic Sporting ran the high press. I know Red Bull has implemented it best recently. Um, high press teams rely on athleticism and wearing your opponent out, especially if you're pressuring the back line and making them make passes. When you start adding extra subs, um, you, you start to see those tired legs disappear in favor of fresh players coming on. Um, that's a huge change. I think San Jose would also be impacted with this with their man marking system if they're going to continue that this year. Um, I think having extra subs to break down the man marking would be a major benefit for other teams and so there, there's a lot of potential negatives for certain styles of play and I, I know red bull has been one of the big ones to to use the high press to great success lately and so it it, it makes me nervous on that front um the other uh right off the top of my head thought i had was we might see a lot more defender rotation this year um, it's not common to use one of your sub spots on a defender unless there's an injury, 
I mean, wing backs more than center backs, but as you start talking about tired legs and condensed schedules and center backs tend to not get rotated unless they're not playing at all, but then they've got some like leg tightness and hamstring issues, just general, general maintenance. Um, you could see a lot more center backs coming off at that 60 or 75 minute mark with this to try to protect those legs a little bit, especially if a game's in hand. Um, it throws off a lot of the scoring metrics. It could be very good if you get one of those guys and they come out and you get a Madranda clean sheet again. But um, when, anytime we start talking about adding rotation, uh, that's just more variance for us, and it makes it a whole lot harder to predict. Um, guys that we would consider mm-hmm. locks to go 90 minutes, like a Michael Bradley when he's healthy, um, d- it becomes an instant rotation risk, especially with his age. Um, I would expect him to see a little bit more rotation if they're pulling five guys off with the way Toronto's midfield is stacked. So I, I get nervous when I see this for the fantasy aspect of it because we're going to see a lot of very uh, – a lot of changes and – rotation plus tactical changes that teams are going to have to adjust for because you can't, you can't do the same thing when you expect them to only be able to make three subs. Now you have to worry about five. Um, I don't think we'll see too many double subs where you put a guy in and take him out a little bit later, but that definitely becomes a tactical possibility. And I I thought that still wasn't allowed. I thought, I thought you still couldn't pull a guy in and out at the same time. Like it would have to be five different people. No, um, you could, yeah, you could take, put in guy B to replace guy A, but guy C could come in to replace guy B. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. You could, and, and with the striker situation in MLS, and if a team is either chasing a goal or dealing with, or trying to catch up, or just, they make a sub that's not effective, um, given that extra sub to burn, I could see coaches pulling a guy that he thought was going to go have an impact and is not doing very well. Like that becomes a legit possibility as well this year. I don't think you'll see too much of it, but it really does make for some interesting dynamics in the games. Another one that I'll throw out right now is I agree with everything you said, Blaine, that, that uh, some of the rotation is going to be there. I think we could also see the substitutions earlier in the game. And mm-hmm. I think that's where the biggest fantasy impact is going to have As you know, so many coaches uh, your team in particular is horrible about this, waiting until like the like, 88th minute to make their substitutions. But I think so many coaches are waiting until that last quarter, last third of the game to start making those changes, to try to get in fresh legs, wait to see where the weaknesses are. But if you don't have to do that, you could make, we could see more halftime subs, which is going to impact our our bonus point generation for minutes played i mean the bonuses aren't coming until you hit the 60 minute mark now at 45 you're gonna you could have players with one point and they don't get that extra extra chances you could have those players that come out at 50 minutes at at 60 minutes just because they they had that luxury or even in the first half like you were saying uh for some of for some of that early impact that may not have have played out so i think that's going to have a huge impact that right there of when the timing comes and how that's going to manipulate or not manipulate how that's going to impact the the fantasy points so mike you have one to throw out or yeah, comment? yeah i mean i was going to say the way the rule is written is that you have three opportunities to make substitutions but you can also make substitutions during halftime so if i'm reading that mm-hmm. rule it means you have three pauses of play to make a substitution but you could also do extra one at halftime so mm-hmm. they basically just done the that's th- good point it, so opportunities, you can think of it as like stoppages in play. 
But if half times already happened, you can do it then. So you, the coaches are somewhat incentivized to do substitutions at halftime, especially if you know you're having some sort of issue. You, you, if you're having an issue, you might as well make a substitution at halftime. So I think Reed, you're exactly right. We're going to see a lot more players with ones because they haven't had a chance to pull in um, bonus points. They're just played the 45 minutes. They haven't earned anything unless they get a goal. Um, that, so, so if you couple that with what Blaine is saying about defenders getting more uh, substitutions, that becomes much riskier for defenders. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the way you counter that is with more switcheroos, but then the o- other side of this, which yes. we haven't mentioned yet, is the fact that it's going to be harder to identify switcheroo players. Because if we're going to see a ton of double game weeks, we're not going to see who's on the rotation for next week, and we're probably going to see a lot of rotation. Because if, that, if this is the approach MLS takes, we're going to have a lot of games in a short period of time with a lot of double game mm-hmm. weeks. So we're going to see rotation, whether this rule happen or not. Mm-hmm. Then you add in that rule. You know, the USL guy who never seen the field before, he might see some time. He might see 45 minutes. You know, that's going to make it a lot harder to pull off switcheroos, especially because, and this isn't part of this rule change, but and this isn't said by MLS, but almost every other league is pretty much doing it. MLS teams are going to have expanded rosters as a result of this. If you're going to have try to have so many games in a condensed period of time, mm-hmm. and none of the uh, lower mm-hmm. leagues are operating because they're not financially viable, anyone who's worth anything, you're going to want them with your team. You're going to want them with the academy. They may they may see more minutes, so I think the the biggest impact of fantasy, apart from higher rotation, more ones, is the fact that you're going to have harder scr- identification of scrubs. Now, thankfully, we already have a rule play uh, change in place that's going to alleviate that, which is the double game week one score rule. So now. The only bad thing about that is that we may see players be rotated both sides. You know, for example, Max Morales, he might play the first 45 in game one, you know, get subbed out at 59 minutes, and then, you know, he's a substitution in the next game. I, I, it's it's going to be really hard to kind of predict rotation with this, and this rule is going to make it even harder to do that. Yeah, yeah. on that last on the last point, Mike, I could see I could see some different coaches doing different things where certain ones try to push their guys 60, 90 minutes and get it going. But then I could see a guy like what you've got in New York City going, well, Maxie's going to get a half a game. We're going to try to keep his legs healthy and under him, but we're not going to try to overexert him each game. And you could see coaches start making that decision like one guy's only going to get 45 every game. And you know that you can just lock it in. That's what he's going to get. Whereas other coaches may say, no, we're going to try to go give you 60 at least and go and push you for 90, and then you get the weekend off. And that'll be interesting to watch how coaches try to break up the schedule because with some of your high-impact players, uh, Diego Valeri is coming to mind, who are getting up there in age and may or may not be able to – or probably can't go 90 three, three times in eight days. But if they could go 45 – three times in eight days, that's probably better to have Valeri on the field 45 minutes a game rather than try to do a 90 a game off and a 90 depending on who the opponents are and stuff like that. So you could see a lot of weird rotation like that with some more scheduled subs, kind of like the way basketball does it, where your starting lineup plays so many minutes and then you know kind of when the subs are coming in and teams can game plan on that. 
I could see that happening a lot in MLS this year with the extra subs. I could definitely see Diego Valeri becoming exclusively a super sub under this rule. I mean, I think he was kind of looking at a substitution rule anyway, or role anyway, but I, there's definitely nothing to stop him now. If you have two more extra subs, having Diego Valeri as a permanent sub isn't going to hurt. And I wouldn't be surprised if more teams kind of looked at that uh, model, you know, like, hey, we've got some older guys. We're going to have them pretty much as a permanent sub. They're going to come on, you know, almost certainly uh, unless the game is just out and away. So I could see those and those players generally aren't great for fantasy unless you want to take a flyer on them as part of a switch route. Diego Valeri, fantasy Mount Rushmore snub or runner-up, <laughs> however you choose to look at that. No, I think that's a great point you make, Mike, about, and both of you guys are touching on, about uh, USL guys and more of those second or third tier substitutions getting more opportunities. I mean, let's look at Toronto as example. We threw them out there. Uh, the game starts, they're playing. What if the decision's made to pull out Altador and then pull out Bradley and then pull out... Um, I don't know, Omar Gonzalez to get three defender, three positions right there, one one each of the spots. And then you're bringing in some younger guys. I could see how that would prompt another coach to maybe do the same and say, well, you know, for the last 30 minutes of this game, I'm going to roll out my guys who I know will likely see some playtime in the future. So let's give them some experience here, which leads me to what I was going to say of, do you think we'll see any... Maybe not intentional, but do you think we'll see any collusion among coaches? For listen, okay, I'm gonna go play Valeri for 45 minutes. You can go out there and play Ladero for 45 minutes. Then we're gonna sub them off. We're gonna keep everybody in good shape. We don't want people getting too tired or injured. We know what's going on. Do you think we'll see any any deals? Or maybe maybe it's not gonna be a deal. Maybe the coaches will just see what happens and be like, you know what? Okay. Maybe it'll be a gentlemanly agreement. Thoughts? I, I could totally see this going more of the U.S. Open Cup route where you know certain games. And even among MLS teams, when they start meeting, it is a lot more of your depth players getting out there to start. You're not always running out a full-strength lineup. And even teams that have said they're taking it really seriously and they want to win it that year, they don't always go into those earliest games and play a full strength lineup right out of the gate. And I could see there being kind of an unwritten rule or gentleman's agreement between the coaches as they're getting ready to start this season back up saying, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to go all out every game. We are going to run some subs and there may be a phone call before the game and say, Hey, I'm benching four starters for this game. You should do the same type of thing. Like, and a little bit more of that just so they, they all know it keeps the league competitive and it, it it avoids the guessing game. And I know that's one of the big issues I've seen with us open cup is you get a team that says they're taking it really seriously. And then they still run out some second and third tier guys and their fans start going, Oh, well they say they're taking it serious, but they're putting out a second string lineup, but they're also putting out a second string lineup against their opponent's second string lineup. So I, I could see the gentleman's agreement kind of being there between the coaches to get some young guys, some experience. Let's keep it kind of on a level playing field. And once we get closer to MLS Cup and we're starting to really fight for playoff spots, then we're going to take the gloves off and go at it a little bit more. But just easing back into it, I could see a lot more um, friendly play on that front. Because that's what would that does make sense, and that's what would almost be worse is to say, no, I'm going to put the pedal to the metal and then have someone like Valeri 
pulls up with a hamstring injury in the first game or two back because not as in match fitness as you might expect. I mean, I don't see a whole lot of collusion just because my assumption is that the, the schedule is going to be condensed and we're going to lose enough games where games are going to be too important mm-hmm. to be throwing them. Um, but, I mean, if, if the league is able to travel and we do see travel instead of more of like a bubble or they're all in one similar locale format, um, then you're not going to have as many games to throw. If you are traveling still, I could see them being like, yeah, we're not going to have a lot of these players travel because of all the risks associated with travel. I don't want, um, you know, Carlos Vela getting, uh, uh, getting sick on a, on a flight. So I could see more of that. And then, you know, coaches taking the approach, well, look, I'll rest my guys. And if it gets close, maybe I can sub a bunch of them on late because I can really remake the team late and do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of go for it then, or just, you know, hey, if it's bad, I'll just trot out some USL guys and we'll just be done. So so Ron from chat makes a comment. Uh, basically, he's a little annoyed about this change. He, he likes subs the way they are. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Uh, maybe it could be for the better, but I'm initially skeptical. So I, I assume a lot of people probably have this, this attitude. Uh, I don't know if this is just one way of addressing the condensed schedule or maybe and see what you guys think of this maybe we know that there's been talk of additional substitutions for concussions we know there's been talk about at least time to pull players off to even to even look at them and assess concussions and still allow them to come back in like a temporary sub or just on and off like that is this maybe just a situation where mls could say again going back to mike it's not been adopted but mls is in a good position to say you know what this year is kind of already screwy. Why not just test it? Is this the ideal? Is this the perfect time to test this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- I mean, this is really the time to be testing out new and outside the box. And if it, and the one thing I'll say on the pace of the game, at least the way the rule is written, we're, we're not going to have five stoppages of play for substitution. We're only going to have three. So it shouldn't be any different than what's allowed at today. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that's enforced and how that looks in practicality, as we know it's from video uh, assistant referee, uh, VAR, that sometimes what is said is different from how it actually is. But, I mean, at least the way the rule is written, it shouldn't impact the pace of the game. But, I mean, the, the head concu- the heads, head injuries, concussions, that's something that's been talked about for a while. So I think soccer should take advantage of this. And like, let's see it. Let's kind of see how it do with additional subs see what the impact, see what how coaches utilize it, and kind of get a little bit of data right now, since it just seems to make so much sense anyway um, for player safety. Uh, I mean, because going from the training that a lot of these teams are going to get is, is not going to be good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so difficult to get players into facilities even right now due to various states having various different um, rules. I mean, I'm not sure even, because I know I was reading for for major league baseball they think toronto is not going to be able to play in toronto regardless they're going to have to come to florida mm-hmm. because of the, the rules in canada so it, it's it's tough for them to get into the facilities do workouts just any individual level much less to work together as a team getting a whole team back to match fitness is going to be very difficult um so i think in order for player safety in order for integrity of the game i think it makes a lot more sense to at least try this now um, but I mean, obviously, we'll see. 
I mean, if it's bad, it's just going to affect the season. It's just going to be weird anyway. You know, I mean, this is a this is going to be one of those seasons. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Who knows? Maybe New York City will have like great because of its great depth. It'll do do super well. Maybe FC Cincinnati gets hot and makes the playoffs. You know, like weird things could happen this year. So might as well try and experiment for something you've been kind of thinking about anyway and get some data on it. And we'll go from there afterwards. And that's a good point, too, with everything going on, even the the best precautions. I know what Brighton and Hope Albion announced that they had a third player in the Premier League that, that got a positive test for COVID-19. And they have been doing the the temperatures and testings when they come to the field, they've all been splitting off into individual quadrants. People are interacting. So yeah, I think that's still going to be a very interesting question for how we, we deal with that. And we t- touched on it some uh, last week. I don't remember if it was after we stopped recording or during the show, because we do tend to keep talking after this. Um, if, if that will impact how teams, how States are opening, who is and who isn't allowed, like you were saying with baseball in Canada, how, how that might have to condense the States and address play travel. Blaine, yeah. I interrupted you. And, and for Ron's comment, like we're also forgetting because we've only had two games. There's another new rule in place. Yeah, there's another new rule in place this year where players are supposed to leave at the closest uh, touchline. Mm, yeah. Um, they're not supposed to go back. So it's not like you, if you even if you stack up all three of your subs at the end of the game, you're not pulling somebody from each of the far corners who's been slowly meandering towards the the opposite side of the field, trying to stall as long as possible they're supposed to leave at the closest touchline. So you could theoretically do three subs faster than you could your left back on the opposite side a year ago. So it, it should be better with that. Um, pace wise. I don't think that's the problem. Now gameplay wise, making five subs in a game could be huge for tactics and uh, just on field pace. And yeah, the whole the whole dynamic of the game can change, and that will be interesting to see. And a lot of times, when you start doing lots of subs, like we've seen in friendlies, international mm-hmm. friendlies, um, that can completely change the dynamic of the game. And you can either really slow down or really pick up quickly. And it's wild to watch. And so, if you've got both teams making sixty minute subs and planning to put three new guys in right then, I mean, you put six new guys on the field all at once. Yeah, the whole the whole paradigm of the game is going to change in a heartbeat. All I want to see is one team just have all attackers on its bench. And then when it has to go for it, I'm subbing the four defenders and the goalkeeper, and we're going for it. <laughs> That's just what I want to see. Like, if we're going to have, like, a weird season, we want, like, something crazy like that, but we're telling our kids, like, I actually saw this in a real match. That's what I want to see. <laughs> all attackers. Oh, well, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, so we've, this is just a mind, reminding me of like maybe a FIFA, actually a FIFA game that you're going to make substitutions like you're playing a video game. But okay, so we've talked about the impacts, which I think we're all in agreement. The biggest con to this for fantasy is that it is going to uh, put the the 90 minute player or 120 minute player, 180 minute player, whatever we're looking at for those double game week times. Uh, in jeopardy of switching and how that would impact the points. So, that in mind, what are your suggestions for how fantasy players can deal with this uncertainty? Blaine. Uh, first and foremost, make sure your scrub is not in a lineup at lineup lock. And be willing to pay that extra half a million if you have to to get a scrub that is not playing for sure. Um 
the you do not want to have um, a Valeri or somebody who may or may not be going well get eight ten points on your bench and have your scrub play for one. Like, and the safest way to get around that is to just make sure you don't have your scrub in a lineup anywhere. And I'm known for paying over for that, so I would do that. And then the other big thing is watch your coaches um watch your sub patterns and i would look at every post game uh stat sheet and see who subbed and when and start trying to figure out what the pattern is that each coach is going to take whether they're going to sub regularly at halftime whether they're going to try to make certain guys iron men and run them all the way through um, and just start building that database of patterns in your head and then use that knowledge going forward and if you know he's going to do a He's going to replace a center back every week and just or every game and platoon three guys. Just know what that rotation is, and on a double game week, see if you can hit the guy he's not supposed to rotate and get both games in the system. Mike, do you have anything to uh, add? Um, so I, I think even saying that a guy is not going to be in a lineup is, is going to be difficult because he may if, if, if we have a ton of double game week teams, um, he, he could very well be in the – in the second part. So you're, you're, you're really going to have only two choices. One is you're going to have to get a single game week team. If maybe if they play on Wednesday and don't play on the weekend and you see he's not in that lineup, then you can use him as a scrub. But I sort of suspect that what's actually going to happen is you may have to pay for guys who are normal starters or, you know, fringe actual starters and are injured and you know they're not going to make the field back in a week or two. So you may have to pay a little bit more for your scrubs. It may be harder to find 4.0 scrubs um, because, I mean, it's not like these guys, well, maybe they can make the team and, oh, now they're shipped to the USL. Um, as far as I understand, USL is not having a season. So that's there's going to be nobody like that. So it's going to be – I think you're going to have to pay more for your scrubs in order to have that peace of mind. Otherwise, you're going to be taking a risk. Um, that may mean that you stick to scrubs – less on time zone and more on teams that you know like hey i know for new york city this kid is nowhere near taking the field so that may be the kind of things that you have to do and you might have to do a lot more research on the scrubs than you have in years past or pay a higher premium for injured guys because you know they're not and i think a natural continuation of that line of thinking is if you're going to have to pay more for your scrubs we're looking at more of those maybe six and seven million guys. I mean, you know that they're they could potentially play, and so if they're good, if they could potentially play and maybe mess up your auto roo or your switcheroo, then you want to have a guy who has a, a fairly decent chance of getting some points. We might be seeing defensive midfielders becoming more valuable here, guys who will probably at least get a decent shot at two games, who would see the majority of a game and have a fairly high floor for points could give you two better shots at the apple uh, since you can't add them up anymore uh, and that's going to mean you're going to have to sacrifice some of those big hitting players those big name players with those big price tags associated with them and so you're going to have to make those hard choices which should help diversity so there's there's a posture check there's a a pro right there of the system is it it could encourage more diversity in our fantasy teams as people are trying to look for the mid-tier players that might come in so it doesn't screw them and and maybe have to sacrifice a midfielder or a forward for who they might normally go to um 
we also might have those situations where we're thankful that the new price change system is the way it is because if Vela's not going to be playing 80 85 minutes if Vela's only going to be playing 60 65 minutes that's fewer minutes he has a chance to rack up those huge goals against guys with tired legs if stronger legged defenders are coming in that's going to hurt against those forwards so we could see the projected anticipated price bloat not happen which james tells us won't happen anyway but for those naysayers and fear seekers out there you you may not that could be another positive impact that this this has on our on our fantasy system well and and actually it, it may really impact because you're gonna have a lot of if people are racking up ones more frequently than what we've seen in the past that absolutely destroys price so yeah. we may have a situation where what was expected to happen was, you know, you have a lot of extra money in the first few weeks, but as the prices stabilize, you know, that, that, that budget gap is going to disappear and you're going to have to make tough choices. That budget gap may stay the same because if Carlos Vela is pulling up ones, that, that almost neutralizes anything mm -hmm. good that he does. So you may not see the price rises that you were anticipating at the beginning of the year. And so you're going to have just more money on hand. Yeah, definitely, and that might make the speculation game a whole lot worse this year, too, in a good way for roster diversity. But with the Diego Valeri, he may be a super sub all the time, so he may bottom out and hit that 7 $8 million price range if he's putting up regular points or half his half his usual weekly points or whatever, where he's used to getting a 7 or an 8. Now he's getting a 5 or a 6 about every other game because he's only playing half the time. Uh, you could see some of your your classic heavy hitters really bottom out because they're not playing consistently which means you can fit them in your lineup but you also have to worry about are they going to score points and that's going to be fun to watch and that could leave a lot a lot of room for players to pick the right game week and really move mm -hmm. ahead and this will definitely impact the selection of players and selection of games you focus on because like you were saying mike if you do find that team that has the injured player that's probably going to be a player everybody has. If he's a marquee player, that's probably going to be a team everybody's playing, betting against. So there could be some more standardization as well. I don't think it'll go that way. I still think people are going to be uh, rotating enough. People, I think teams are going to be rotating enough that there will be opportunities across the spectrum of games for us to take advantage of. And the way double game weeks stack up, I think, will also have a huge impact. Uh, we don't know what that schedule might look like just yet, so we don't have any new updates. But as soon as we do, we'll try to get a, a modified schedule chart out there for everyone to take a look at to start making some planning. And long-term planning. I know this has been a big thing we've talked about with the EPL system. That could be more important going forward. I mean, currently I love that it's been more of a week-in, week-out, how do these tactics stack up against this. But I think we will have to start thinking more of, okay, uh, this team, New York, has three double game weeks in a row, followed by two regular weeks and two more double game weeks. That's a lot of games compared to some other team, maybe New England or maybe Orlando or maybe Nashville is is cheaper. Cheaper. It has fewer double game weeks, so some more rest. Maybe those players won't get rotated as much. I think looking down the road to try to help think of how your teams may play and, and who might be at the greatest substitution risk uh, is going to be much more important now than it has been in the past. At least for MLS. Yeah. 
The final thing that I want to say about uh, something that you can do is, is, this is both good and bad. I know we, again, this this is just putting such a highlight on, on the different camps of fantasy players for the things that people love and hate about the game. And this one comes down to the unlimited transfers. This system, I think, is going to make it very important for managers, for players, fantasy players, to keep an eye on lineups. Like Blaine and Mike have already alluded to, keep an eye on those lineups that when they drop, if they're not in the 18, you're going to want to scramble and find some of those guys as they're coming out. If it's the single week game, like Mike tells you, it's you know you're not going to have a guy who comes in. And I know that we have a, a very vocal group of fans who who want that that micromanagement of their team who want to see the lineups who want to make the switches and want to make those trades to min max their team to the strongest but we have an equally vocal group of fans who hate that they want to just set their lineup and that's it and why should i have to do that to my team to be able to get a good score and it's going to it's going to be interesting because i think it's it's going to be something we need to look at and pay attention to are the lineups when they come out so just get just get used to that um, know your team it doesn't have to be the entire entire league know your team set some reminders check out some games just to see use the app it's going to be really important right there but as blaine was alluding to a little bit earlier you may want to just go ahead and make sure you have 11 guys in your team that are at least a starter in the field so that you can at least get some points and not have to worry about uh, a zero or which likely may be the the more worry is getting a one from your team i think that's going to be the greater worry is ones instead of zeros mm -hmm. do you guys have any other tips i think blaine does but he got muted as an act of justice from god for his unforgivable act <laughs> <laughs> Closing thoughts before we get to, to Blaine's rant section. Oh, is, am I muted still? Uh, you nope. were. I was. Weird. I wasn't supposed to be. Uh, now's a great time to plug uh, the MLS Fantasy Boss Discord. Yeah. Um, get in there if you're not, like especially if you're really worried. There is a section of mm -hmm. that that is called the lineup feed. It is my go-to when I'm traveling, when I'm out, of, out and about, when I'm doing family things. Um, I know those games. I will sometimes even set alarms on my phone to vibrate and tell me when to go look at lineups. But I use uh, the lineup feed on the Discord server more than any other resource when I'm trying to make last-minute changes because I believe it's set to auto-pull the lineups yep. from Twitter and post them. Some Sometimes it misses, and people will have to put them in so they're not always right on time. But you can about 45 minutes prior to kickoff 30 minutes prior to kickoff they should all be there um 30 minutes is usually a pretty safe bet to set your alarm you need about 5 10 minutes to do all your changes but 30 minutes before kickoff you can almost guarantee it's going to be there unless there's been some weather delay or something use that tool if you're not in discord hit up hit us up we can get you an invite into the discord server um but that is a life-saving tool when you're doing this and it's it's been my go-to resource now since it's been active for finding lineups and it's faster and easier than browsing Twitter and trying to hit the teams and everything. It brings in all of them automated and shows them to you. 
Yeah, for sure. No, it's it's a great tool that Older Goler and crew have uh, put together. It does exactly like Blaine says that it. it looks for looks for some keywords and and posts out there. Sometimes it messes up depending on how a team formats their lineup. I hate the little GIF lineups, but uh, they it, it does miss some things every Why now. Why is and it then. so hard for teams to get lineup cards right? Have we talked about this? <laughs> I don't show? think we have. Like, just put a formation and put the names. If you want to put a picture, that's great. All of this, like, we're going to put it in a row. I think the New York Red Bulls, because they're the spawn of Satan, does it by number or alphabetical order. And then you're like, okay, my guy is a defender. He's, he's number what on the team? Um, just, just make it simple. Everyone, just put a formation. It doesn't even have to be the right formation. Like, yeah. put it we, have, like, close. we have a couple of wonderful human beings in the Discord because I know the Revolutioner, the bad ones that they share, like a one and a half minute video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got all the Montreal does introductions, and they will screen cap the very end of the video yes. and show us just the formation because the revolution do it but if you're ever watching that on twitter it is very hard to skip to the end of one of those videos yeah like they don't really like you to skip to the end of the video they want you to watch the whole thing and the la galaxy have a tweet and they it goes to a page discussing oh yeah yeah so you, yeah so our discord people in discord will screenshot the linked page with the actual lineup in it <laughs> and share that how about those hits baby uh, but yeah, no, check that out for sure. Uh, and Blaine's right. You can uh, message myself or Older Goler on Twitter to get an invite to that. We did have to make some modifications uh, during during this time, but uh, we everything's still around. You can also search for us on Discord if you're already in. It's free. You can find it over at MLSFantasyBoss.com over in the, the right-hand sidebar, so it's really easy to, to find that. It's a, a fantastic tool. Thank you for plugging that. Okay, that's it. But yeah, definitely, guys, uh, that's something to keep in mind. We all do think that we will see this five substitution rule. If if we don't see this rule, I think a lot of what we said could still apply because I think we're just going to be seeing more rotations in general. It may not be during the game, but if we're seeing more double game weeks, you may see more guys who are going 60-30s or 60-15s, things like that. So I think we're going to be dealing with a version of this scenario regardless of what the actual adaptations and decisions on the substitution rule end up being. So uh, stay tuned for all that. And we, of course, will try to put out any of the materials and resources that you need to deal with that. If there's one you want, hit us up, and we will try to get that made for you to, to send out there. And now it's time for the third segment of our show. He uh, he doesn't do it very often. Usually it's Mike, as you just heard, who, who goes on the rants at the show in the spirit of of Guy Sanchez, the great Mr. Guy Sanchez. <laughs> uh, but Blaine got into a, a bit of a verbal sparring match on Twitter with Andrew Wiebe and uh, our good friend of the show, Ben Bear. Now, I feel like I should call Andrew Wiebe a good friend of the show, too, because he's a, he's a great sport of the show. Maybe that's I mean, the, the, the best way. The wooden named after it. I mean, <laughs> that's right. We need to have his his face fire etched, burned into the wooden spoon. So I will give the general breakdown of what's going on, and then I will let Blaine take over this discussion right here. So Weeby sends out an innocent tweet. All of Weeby's tweets are innocent. Weeby's never been known as someone to stir the pot with his wooden spoons. But so Weeby sends out an innocent tweet, likely doing some research and prep for the next Extra Time Radio. And he says, am I missing any 
MLS rivalries here. And he lists El Trafico, the Cali Classico, the Hudson River Derby. I do say Derby, not Derby, because I'm from Kentucky and I say it correctly. The Hudson River Derby, the Canadian Classic, the Canadia, uh, sorry, the Cascadia Cup, the Texas Derby, the Rocky Mountain Cup, the Hell is Real Derby, <laughs> the Atlantic Cup, the Dirty South, Orlando-Atlanta, question mark, and then the Everglades Cup, Orlando-Miami, real or nah? So those are what he lists, and then enter Blaine. Yeah, um, longtime pet peeve in MLS is manufactured rivalries in place of organic rivalries. And I just kind of let my frustration get the best of me, and I called out Weeby's list for having the manufactured rivalries, but not including RSL and SKC, which is one of the most violent uh, organic rivalries to ever come through MLS. I mean, Cascadia has been up there. Um, what is it? The Atlantic cup, I guess is what they call it. Uh, I've always known it as just DC versus Red Bulls. That one has always been a little heated. And, but outside of those two, like, I don't think you can find a more violent rivalry than RSL and SKC. And so I get that. And immediately after I post that, Ben comes back and goes, which ones are manufactured? And he, he's got, and he's actually putting RSL and SKC in their rivalry classics match. Well, for the last three or four years, I haven't seen an RSL SKC match make their Heineken rivalry week lineup because RSL is also part of the Rocky Mountain Cup against Colorado. And I can't think of a single person outside of those two fan bases that goes, ooh, the Rocky Mountain Cup is going to be on. I want to tune in and watch that one. Um, just one of those early regional rivalries that really probably should fall by the wayside, except it's one of the closest um, away traveling games that either one of those teams have. Um, and so, yeah, and that started up and now I've got a lot of um, sporting and Salt Lake fans chiming in, but I have a real issue with a lot of the um, manufactured rivalries. I mean, the Dirty South, Orlando, and Atlanta, um, the only good part about that rivalry has been the fan bases going at it on Twitter. Like, social media for that one is fantastic. The games themselves have been completely lopsided and just not fun to watch. Um, they're already trying to do it with Orlando and Miami. Uh, I'm sorry, Reed, but the hell is real is great for um, Ohio people or local fans um, and those two teams, but I didn't see a lot of national appeal on that one. Um, and it's mostly because expansion teams just don't usually start off that hot. I know they tried to pair Kansas City with Minnesota at the start of Minnesota's MLS campaign, and it didn't take off for the longest time. And the only reason we got it to take off is because we started poking fun at MLS as the nicest rivalry in sports because there's really no animosity there and we're only a rivalry because MLS says we should be a rivalry. And so I, and then you get the other ones like the Rocky mountain cup and the Texas uh, Derby that are, you know, probably could be pretty good rivalries, but I just never hear people saying, Oh, I want to tune in and watch this. When was the last time anybody besides a Houston fan or a team playing against Houston really wanted to tune in and watch a Houston game? I mean, other than I know we're all fantasy people, so we like to watch a little bit of everything. And some of those uh, rivalries have the potential for fireworks. But I called him out on that one. I'm 
I'm even worried about El Trafico going forward um, if things keep going the way they have. Like, Zlatan really was the only reason El Trafico was even competitive the last two years. Um, now that he's not in the mix, I'm not sure that that rivalry is even going to be competitive going forward. Yeah, I know it's a it's a crosstown rivalry type of thing, and it will probably always be a rivalry, but when I think of good rivalries, I go back to the Canadian Classic or Cascadia Cup or the Atlantic Cup. Those are teams that generally hate each other, usually get a little more physical, but they almost always produce pretty good, pretty good games. Even when DC's been down, they've always played up against Red Bull, and it's been they're good ones to watch. So that that was kind of my rant there on rivalries. And Reed gave me a perfect one. Reed, what was your name for the uh, sporting and RSL rivalry name? You said we didn't have a witty name, and that's why we're not in we're not relevant. Uh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up from there then before I before I give you give you that. Um, if you don't have a clever name, then I don't even see how you could begin to suggest that you have a rivalry worth anything. If you're saying, and I, I think your example of Sporting Kansas City versus RSL just epitomizes the the definition you threw out there. If this tell me this is correct, is that it seems it's not going beyond just the two team circles. You said that cannot be. A, a rivalry if it's not going beyond the two team circles. And I think what you are describing with Sporting Kansas City and RSL is the definition of that because I didn't even know that you guys had bad blood from way back then. I think a lot of people who are watching now don't even know that you guys had bad, bud, bad blood back then. People think more of Sporting Kansas City and Houston as having more of a rivalry than Sporting Kansas City and uh, RSL. So I think this is just your personal Sporting Kansas City fan rival who remember the studs up. That's what I gave you, the studs up derby because because it even more so your rivalry, your supposed rivalry stems from what? The Desert Diamond Cup? It stems from preseason? Is this what we're going for? You get you get a studs up against Morales it, from your team, you guys started it. <laughs> Espinosa starts this thing against Morales. Then you get back to a regular season, get an elbow in the face, and then you go to MLS Cup and have some some zero zero games. But thankfully, Ike Opara comes in there with a header at the end because that's what Sporting Kansas City does. They save all of the action until the 98th minute of the game, uh, and then another one one draw that ends up with a shootout. So, I think that it's it is the fans that have to make a rival. But if you don't have a clever name, that's like step one. You need a clever name. And as far as the Hell is Real Derby, which is one of the best rivalry names in the league, thank you very much, uh, I'm going to default back to that and say, on a serious note as far as rivalry goes, that interstate rivalries, I think, are one of the best claims for a rivalry. Because in all sports, that's where so much of these begin even down to the high school level where i know there are two high schools mm -hmm. in my city in my hometown and that's an automatic rival that you have right there so interstate rivalries i think are the foundation that that's built upon and then you have your games from there but ohio in particular does have a rich history of the the cincinnati reds and the cleveland indians being rivals the the cincinnati Bengals and the cleveland browns being rivals now I will give you that 
those two teams have greater rivals. You could probably say the Cardinals are a bigger rival for the Reds and the Steelers by far are a bigger rival for the Bengals than their interstate mm-hmm. teams. But those still exist for, is it going to be, well, I was getting ready to go with, with football, but is it is Ohio going to be orange? Well, of course it will be orange. Is it going to be burnt orange or brighter orange? Who, who knows? We'll see. Uh, and Ohio's got the whole skyline and chili thing up there as well. But I think those interstate rivalries are a foundation that you can't get rid of. And of course the league is going to plug something like that because it's a natural rivalry. No, and that that's fair. Um, I do. I am a little biased on that. I could admit that. Um, also part of a pretty large Facebook forum. And I know the sporting and RSL games have been some of the more must-watch games when they come up, In that, at least in that group. Um, we've got a pretty good contingent of RSL fans, and I'm being a big sporting fan, and we've got a few others in there that talk it up pretty big. So it is somewhat who's talking most, too. That's why Atlanta still gets a lot of presence in that group is because they've got a ton of fans around that are a little more vocal. I just some of it does come down to that and some of it comes down to the like I like to look at who's tuning into those games some of it is regional I'm part of one of the oldest and most violent um, regional rivalries in all of sports with the border war Missouri and Kansas and that one has roots back to um, the civil war where um, some union soldiers out of Kansas came and raided an arms an arms facility in Missouri and the Missouri Confederate soldiers went back and burned Lawrence, Kansas. Like there's, there's some really bad blood there and that's what makes that rivalry so much fun, but it's rooted in history and civil war and all that. Um, So I get what you're saying with the whole, the whole regional and other sports and that type of thing too. And, and I will give the hell is real a big part of that one too, that you can tell there is some passionate fan base behind both of those. And and they go when they go at it, you can tell it's more than just uh, one of the manufacture more manufactured rivalries. But at the same time, I like to leave off a set of games or a rivalry like sporting and RSL. And I'm struggling to think of any of the other more recent ones that have been that way. I mean, I think you could put Seattle and Toronto up there right now with three back to back MLS cups. That's kind of an organic rivalry. Like, I would put that – they don't play each other often enough, but when they do play, that's going to be one of those fun games that you get – that people are going to tune in to Wait, see. wait, wait, wait. Did you watch those games? Are you calling the Seattle-Toronto set of, of games fun? Maybe the last one. Well, teams are teams change every year, but – Let's let's get our, our 120 0 snooze fest going on here. Yeah. Um, but, no, some – Well, he's just, a Sporty Kansas City fan, so he's fine with that. I like – <laughs> as long as I don't have to oh, have the right. action yeah. the 90th he's, minute. He's, he's yeah. waiting for the 89th minute anyway. <laughs> yeah, that 0-0 game was one of the best snaps I can remember, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but no, um, but no, just to leave off organic rivalries in favor of the ones that have the catchy name. And like Miami and Orlando haven't even played each other yet, and they've already got a rivalry name picked out for them. Like um, El Trafico has got to be one of the – dumbest names for a rivalry i've seen but they let the fans vote on that one so whatever they can name our it what they own want. ben came up with that or was it it's was just, it ben who did it no who was it that brian brian was the first person i think who tweeted el trafico in the world like 
and and they were coming up with the name before LAFC had played their first game. Like eh, that's one of the problems I have is they there's just they downplay the organic ones as they come up and yeah, organic ones die over time. The Houston SKC rivalry is all but dead at this point because we just we haven't had the heated games recently enough. But I know that the RSL one is still hot. We still hate each other. Beckerman and Espinoza are still playing. And as long as those two guys are playing, it's good. And I, I threw this out there for Weeby because he's like, it hasn't been relevant since 2015. Well, Shalloui got a lot of crap for his no-look backheel goal or whatever, his no-look in the 2018 playoffs. And the next year, uh, RSL was back. I think they scored one and they threw it right back in his face. I mean, it's still going on to a degree. So I don't know. I just, I get frustrated with the manufactured rivalries taking precedence over like more natural ones, especially when some of us don't even know that these rivalries exist. Like, who knew too much about the Rocky Mountain Cup being an actual rivalry with Colorado and RSL? I've heard of that one. Mike, you're one of the two of the people here that actually have a rivalry. Who, uh, what are, who yeah, are you coming Yeah, I mean, and look, the problem I have with the SKC-RSL rivalry is I don't know that it's gone into the fans. It's just, like you said, it's just on the field. It's just players who, you know, are mad about playoff results. And, and I mean, it's, it's mostly, from what my understanding, it's mostly just Kyle Beckerman being a punk and, like, throwing elbows. Um, I haven't found those games to be particularly good games. It's just like violent games. Um, but if the fans aren't in it, you don't have a rivalry. And, and I've, MLS gets a lot of uh, you know flack for quote manufacturing these rivalries. But if the fans are into it and they have that additional passion into it, I think you're going to have a rivalry even if the teams aren't great. Like Atlanta, Orlando. I agree, it's not a great rivalry now because Orlando hasn't won. But like there is legitimate animosity between their fan bases that you see on social media and that makes it into the stand so that even though one team is vastly superior to the other it's still uh, an interesting environment it's still a better game for that rivalry aspect so i think they are do have a legitimate claim to a rivalry i don't see that with sporting kansas city and rsl um i don't know that mls at this point has a or organic rivalry um i mean we mentioned red bulls and, and dc united I kind of feel like that one's kind of lost its luster a little bit. You kind of see DC United get up for the games. You can kind of tell Red Bull at this point has moved on to New York City as its rival. That's the game it really gets up for. for you. Yep. you know, um, Cascadia is probably the closest. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, but Cascadia is a regional rivalry, yeah. and that's something, yeah. you know, MLS, yeah. you know, has been. Um, but it is, you know, I, I, I kind of say it. it if you don't have one rival, if you don't, you can either have one rival or none, you know. And I think that's Sporting Kansas City's problem. It's like, oh, we have this rivalry with RSL and then Houston. It's like, no, yeah, you don't, no, that's, that's have fair. One team, like with the New York Red Bulls, like I don't really care who else wins. I just, I just want them to lose. Like mm-hmm. that's like if you're looking into my objectives and seasons. I want New York City to win the championship and New York Red Bulls to not win the championship. And that's it. Like you have to have like that burning hate for one person, one team in particular. I, I will say, coming from a basketball state, that I think you can have multiple rivals. I, I think there is always, though, to, to speak to what you're saying, I think there is always that one team of like, but that guy, that's the guy that if I'm going to go down, 
Christian Leitner, you're coming with me. That's that's what that's what's going to happen. Well, but, college basketball gets different because you got the recruiting battle. So it's always Kentucky, yeah. Kansas, Duke, you know, and UNC. They're all fighting for the same guy. So you do you get that little bit of a rivalry comp, competition. And, I yeah. I will speak to defend El Trafico though because I I will defend that as a real rivalry and as maybe MLS's only natural rivalry because. Unlike a lot of these places, I think Cascadia is natural. Well, but but you're you're saying Cascadia is a lot of a regional. That that is a very regional thing that's ingrained there. With when LAFC came in, it was a team with similar spending power to LA Galaxy, which was not very common, coming into the same market, and people switched allegiances. People changed their fan support when that team came in, and I think that did create a legitimate rivalry between those two teams competing fan bases that they were going for monetarily and and just everything there i I think that is a legitimate rivalry the players buy into it the fans buy into it heavens heavens zlatan didn't hurt that to get it to get it really going with all that trash talk but i think el trafico is probably the only organic and legitimate rivalry that's there other ones i think they exist i think players and and fans have bought into them but i think el trafico is real no, Wouldn't the Hudson gonna, River Derby count by that same standard? I mean, yeah, I was going to say that NYCFC came into New York Red Bulls market, and I mean, I can tell you, Jesse Marsh took it as a personal insult. I mean, there was a buy-in. Yeah. we'll put that one there too. Uh, and I will say, I, I am glad that that is is where it's gone, and that we've dropped this whole Orlando New York City rivalry thing that they oh like, yeah they came yeah. in at the same that time. that is a manufactured rivalry. Yes, that that's like, yeah, yeah, like dual expansion clubs get a rivalry grandfathered in for that first year because they're both trying not to be the worst team in the league (laughs) and that makes a pretty good rivalry especially if they're in the same conference and they play each other because you know if you can win those two games against your your expansion partner you're probably going to finish higher than them in the table and and so i will give the first year kind of grandfathered in for those because it is fun to watch teams fight not to be last so yeah, we'll there go with that. Hudson River conversations between NYCFC fans and Orlando that first year, but after that, it's like, oh, poor yeah, man. and and on multiple rivals, I think you can have multiple rivals. And I know sporting, I would say we actually switched from Houston to RSL in in the early 2010s because there was a recency bias with um, the Houston games. We got knocked out by them multiple times in the playoffs finally got by him and won MLS Cup and those were heated games because we were really the two best teams in the Eastern Conference at the time with Red Bull and DC kind of floating in and out there um, but Sporting never could get by him and Houston took pleasure in knocking us out of the playoffs every time because I think they went back to back MLS Cups right before we got there hmm. or shortly before we came onto the scene and so there was kind of this young upstart team knocking off the big guys and it was a pride factor i mean it was it was really good but when we switched when mls won sporting or when skc won mls cup that year at the houston rivalry was just never the same after that and we had all this attention on rsl because there were red cards in um preseason games and we had a controversial uh mls cup where one of our guys could have been sent off and final pk kick that went off the bar the ball moved right before he kicked it which technically by the law states it should be a re-kick like i mean it was just it was that and then there was a third minute shoulder check this following year from an rsl player and just roger doing his thing and just laying into people like it it just it built so much so i think you can have one of those kind of 
recent, more recent playoff rivalries form based on who you've played a lot. And like Atlanta and TFC would be a good one to say could could have really built into a pretty solid Eastern Conference rivalry because they play each other a couple times in regular season. And if they're meeting in the playoffs and those games get heated, like that's how you build with good teams, a good organic rivalry. That means almost as much or more at times in your regional rivalries that you have. So I think you can have two, but just MLS just doesn't want to talk up those ones that, that grow organically as much that may be a little bit fleeting. And yeah, I've, I've admitted that, on Twitter today that with Bellhaber retiring um, that one with RSL may be dying down at this point, it's not the same thing and the players aren't as bought into it anymore, but I know the fans still hate each other. I mean, I still get into it with RSL fans all the time and the RSL fans on Twitter in response to Weeby were very quick to point out that they still make and wear their FUKC shirts to the stadium. Anytime KC comes to town because they still hate us out there. But that's just those two groups, and it's not beyond your two groups. Going by your definition right there. I will say that I think recency bias does have a lot of impact. I know with with Cincinnati, some of the the older fans uh, feel more of a rivalry with uh, Red Bulls than than they do necessarily some other teams because of USL of US Open Cup and and what's happened with that in the past. So so the the time at which you come into your fandom, I think, has a huge impact on that. And I just don't believe that the RSL sport in Kansas City has a rivalry that is long-lasting like some of these other rivalries we have. It It is very player-specific, very fan-specific, and it doesn't step up to that next level. And perhaps a lot of that is because MLS gives support to some rivalries and rivalries change as we go throughout time. And and there are really few that really do become universal and organic and exist. Hudson River Derby, El Trafico, Cascadia, definitely probably the three biggest ones right there that we have. Uh, but I don't know. Yours, I, I don't know. And I would just say, I wish MLS would stop like forcing the RSL Colorado rivalry. And this is a couple of years past now at this point, but when rivalry week comes up and they're scheduling all their games, they always give that rivalry precedence for TV time. Mm-hmm. So they're always trying to pair up RSL and Colorado for rivalry week. Well, when you're actively dissuading fans from watching or buying into an organic rivalry, that's really building of course fans aren't going to tune in and check it. Like I know rivalry week is one of the hot weeks to watch as many games as you can, because you get a lot of good matchups and they're supposed to be there. But when you're actively ignoring certain ones, like, and it goes back to uh, what, what Mike was saying with DC uh, with DC and New York city for Red Bulls. If they stop scheduling Red Bulls in DC for rivalry week and only make it the Hudson river Derby, what are fans going to know is the rivalry? They're only going to see one side of it. They're never going to see that other one. So if you're not scheduling them, uh, even when they're organic or, or not, when they're manufactured, like whatever you schedule is going to take precedence in the fans' minds. Mm. And when you've got some of those organic ones, maybe you need to push them out there. And I'm, and you guys shot holes in it, but if you've got two teams that have met in the MLS Cup Finals three years in a row, 
maybe that needs to be getting on the slate for rivalry week too, because now that's not just a, a, a recency thing, but that's you're playing for big games all the time. Those are, those are ones that people take pride in. I know beating the defending champs is always a big deal. Well, the rematch of a, of a final is always a big deal too. And it's just, it, maybe MLS needs to look at uh, embracing some of those because that's where you can get a lot of must-watch TV. Um, maybe not the example I gave of Toronto and Seattle because that was not <laughs> that was not necessarily the most much must-watch TV. But but I mean, you give it you give it two teams that play in the finals three years in a row. That's going to build a natural rivalry between those two teams, regardless of what the outcomes are. And so I just I get I get a little bit uh, heated when I see just the organic ones ignored for their more manufactured ones like the Everglades Cup, which we don't even know who's going to be the better team. I mean, I hope it's a competitive rivalry for them to start off with this year, but with the way things are tracking, didn't you might... just say you always like to see teams battle not to be last? I'm, I think it's going to be a great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking Miami's going to be good enough that they're just going to steamroll over Orlando, and it's going to be boring to watch again. Oh, we... oh but what have we learned? What have we learned from this conversation? It all starts with a name. If you want that Blaine, you got to start plugging the studs up cup. That's that's what it's. Or or some sort of Becker bow, I don't know, some sort of yeah. elbowerman, I don't know. You gotta you gotta get something out there, but you need a name. If you don't have a name, nothing. It means nothing. That's what it'll be. All right. Well, thank you everyone uh, for listening tonight. I hope you enjoyed our our conversations. Getting back into some of the actual fantasy content here. Very excited for that. With hope, games will be coming back soon, and we'll be able to get to our ultimate fantasy team of all time so very fun very looking forward to doing that uh, we'll schedule that again as i said last couple of weeks uh, that will be the last suspension podcast that we have before we get back to uh, regular games hopefully that that'll be the goal i mean if they announce coming back in some weird time frame where we can't get it done we'll work it into uh, another podcast or make it some sort of uh, special edition podcast that we'll, we'll drop out there uh, but that's it uh, otherwise we're here doing this because we want to help contribute to just the mental health of everyone right now so important things are starting to open up all across the country and that's awesome but everyone still needs to be safe everyone still needs to take precautions and that does involve still some levels of social distancing and so we still feel like that uh, we want to do our part as so many others uh, across the nation and involved in soccer and everywhere are doing um and i know it's we have a relatively small audience especially at uh, right now with with the different content but for those of you who are listening thank you so much and i do hope that it is that is helping with you guys uh mike blaine final thoughts yeah really quick i'm i love it that things are opening back up we're starting to see sports come back um but i saw a good one on facebook this week um um everything opening back up doesn't mean that the pandemic is over and i gotta stress that with everybody it means they have room in icu for you and it was a great way to put it it means the hospitals have the capacity to handle the more extreme cases that may come in but you don't want to be one of those extreme cases that has to go in so please keep taking precautions please keep an eye out on on your on your friends and family and neighbors just there 
things are getting better, but we could backslide real easy if we don't continue to take proper precautions. And I know, I think every state that's looking at opening up is putting some pretty good, pretty strict guidelines on it still. It's not just a free for all. You can go out and do whatever you want to again. So please keep that in mind going forward because I think we all want MLS to come back sooner rather than later. And we can all do our little part here and just accept it and try to keep going because I want to keep all of our listeners out there happy and healthy too. And I don't want to lose anybody to this virus. And I just don't want to see anybody taking too many unnecessary chances. Mike. Uh, I mean, it's hard to follow that up, but I'm just going to say that Blaine, you need to repent and do penance. <laughs> so um, I have nothing else to say to you. Just repent. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to us tonight. Uh, give us your comments for what you would like to hear next week. Uh, any suggestions? We are happy to talk about that. Even if it's just general soccer talk like we had a little bit of tonight, just let us know what you're thinking, and we're happy to uh, keep on this suspension journey along with you. Thank you so much, and good luck. <laughs>